You're listening to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 33. This is another one we recorded live at the Lean Startup Week in San Francisco back at the beginning of November. We sat down with David Bland, founder and CEO of Precoil, an innovation consulting agency also based in San Francisco. Stay with us as David talks about the next trends of corporate innovation and discusses one of the biggest mistakes a corporation can make when it comes to compensation for innovation. Hi there, everyone. I'm Vicki, producer of Inside Outside Innovation. This is the podcast that brings you the latest insights for people who know the most about building lean businesses, uh, innovating within corporations, and disrupting entire industries, all doing it with passion and precision. You can connect with our team on Twitter at The IO Podcast, and you can subscribe on iTunes to make sure that you stay up to date. Now, let's get started. Before Prequel, you did some pretty cool stuff too, right? What'd you I do? did. I helped build Neo San Francisco. So Neo was founded uh, actually by Eric Reese and mm-hmm. then Joey Ito that runs MIT Media Lab and Ian McFarland, who used to be VP of Engineering at Pivotal Lab. So uh, I was kind of built as a lean startup as a service agency. I uh, did that for a couple of years and then it was acquired by Pivotal, interesting enough. And uh, <laughs> so I went, went solo. So I've been solo about a year now. Any lessons from Neo, especially as we're at Lean Startup Week and we're thinking about how you adopt Lean Startup inside of an organization or an enterprise? Yeah, lots of lessons. I mean, um, most, of this, this, um, most of this work comes from Horizon 3, you know, the idea of how do we build new products and businesses differently inside corporations and the appetite for that. I learned a lot and what people are willing and, and not willing to do and what pace uh, they're willing to go at, right? I mean, going uh, an experiment a week seems like light speed to some of these these teams. And when you're saying we're going to run you know, multiple experiments a day, it's almost like we can't fathom that. So there's something about modeling that behavior um, that's really eye-opening and people value it a lot. But at the same time, it's really challenging because you have to, you have to run at that pace and be disciplined about are the experiments we're running tied to a hypothesis that's tied back to our strategy? And working between those levels and jumping back and forth, it's it's you know it's kind of like being at a startup in a way. Tell us a little bit more about Precoil now. Uh, what have you been doing the last year? Yeah, it, it's similar to Neo in that I'm mostly advising corporations and using their teams, right? So at Neo we had uh, product design and engineering as part of Neo, so we would pair almost like the pivotal model. Uh, now it's it's me advising teams through it, so it's it's a little slower, but it sinks in a lot deeper because they're not hiring people to come in and pair with them. They're doing it on their own with some help, and then. They're kind of internalizing that and teaching other people. So it's kind of a train-the-trainer thing. But it's all about doing it on real products and real businesses. So there's not a lot of superficial training there. We want to take advantage of uh, capabilities we have and build new businesses with them in this kind of digital realm. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for us? So it's, um, it's, it's pretty fun. I'm enjoying it a lot. Is this typically done with actual devoted firewalled-off innovation labs? Or is it existing product teams? A little bit of both? It's a little bit of both. Innovation Labs, I, I feel like, are going through their own disruption at the moment. Mm-hmm. Innovation Labs used to be really R&D focused and inward focused. And the kind of joke about R&D is a lot of R and no D or <laughs> a lot of D and no R. So it's never really R&D, uh, which I find fascinating. And then um, if they do find something, it's really hard for the business to take it in and actually make a real business out of it. So I really, from day one, I say, look, we need to go into the market and test and generate our own learnings. And that's mm-hmm. been a big shift for innovation labs. The other shift I see is going to more cross-functional teams. So they're not siloed, they're cross-functional, they're dedicated, 
and they're able to kind of test rapidly in the market. And then you back into that with incremental funding and say, look, we're only going to fund you for three months here, six months. And then we're going to come and have a conversation whether to pivot, persevere, or kill this initiative. Sure. So it it's actually becomes a really smart investment decision from the executive level, too. So it's interesting. I, I feel labs up until this point were very inward focused, R&D focused, siloed with big budgets. And now you're seeing a shift to cross-functional teams, incrementally funded, testing in the market. It's, it's pretty fun. So we've heard from some of our listeners that they're at a stage where they're thinking about their first innovation labs. Uh, they're really trying to figure out what that looks like from a framework perspective, from a staffing perspective, uh, et cetera. What advice would you have? You know, if, if you had a blank slate, how would you create the ideal innovation lab? Yeah. First off, I would look inside your company. I, I feel like um, a mistake I see a lot of my clients make is they immediately look outside the company and say, oh, oh, we don't have any innovative people here. We have to go hire kind of new blood. And I think um, that's really doing a disservice to their people. Just look broadly across your company, and there are entrepreneurial people in your company, and they're, they're often just never given the space to be entrepreneurial. Mm. So uh, first look internally before going externally. And then uh, having a, a strategy is really important, <laughs> like having a vision but testing against reality. So don't give them a complete uh, you know, green field to go do whatever. Say, look, we're trying to move into this space. Um, this is really important to our company. We're going to fund you in this way. So like I said, incremental VC funding is, is a trend I like to see uh, companies use. And uh, let's have a cross-functional team that's dedicated. And the mm. dedicated part is really, really important. No one is going to go off and build new businesses into part-time. It's hard enough to do when you're dedicated. So um, getting that dedication and, and looking internally, um, that's, those are recommendations I, I would make. Yeah, I think you, you hit it on the head in terms of being strategic, being intentional about what they're trying to do with it. Uh, many times people who give the part-time or the 20% time to be able to work on new ideas think that they're going to get these big breakthrough ideas. They may get some boost from being more innovative from a cultural perspective and might make people feel better. And so if you go into that mindset and say, let's be intentional about that's why we're doing our part-time stuff, then maybe that's considered a win. But if your true win is we actually want to create breakthrough new products or new business lines or get into new markets out there, trying to do that part-time doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. One of, the, one of the companies I really admire is Adobe, and I see how they take two different lenses on this. One is uh, democratizing innovation. So if you look at the Kickbox program, you look how Mark uh, yeah. has really sort of democratized the tools and given people inside the company the ability to step forward and say, hey, I want to learn this, train my intuition, and it's very much like career development in a way. And then you have just emerging businesses in Adobe where all their new mobile products, this mobile-first strategy, and uh, this ecosystem going from desktop to cloud, and, and, and having teams dedicated to products that are really working through products is, is separate, right? But it's the same principles, it's just be deliberate in, we're going to democratize this for career development purposes, sure. or we're going to build new businesses and new products with this. And they don't look exactly alike, even though they have the same principles. The question we get many times is, how should I compensate these people inside of the innovation lab? If, if I bring in and I just give them these nice fat salaries, does that impede the innovation uh, that we're going to get? Does it impede the type of people I can recruit or might be attracted to it? We hear the excuse is, I've got these people who want upside, they, they want to participate in it, but we're not structured to be able to do that. Have you had any thoughts or any experience with thinking about compensation of the people who are in these innovation labs? Yeah, I, I think we do need to figure out compensation. The, the idea of you're going to pay them a salary and they're going to have the same sense of urgency and momentum that they would display at a startup when they bootstrapped it is, is just absurd to me. So uh, it's, you can organize it and you can have a cross-functional team, but at the same time, if the incentives aren't there, if there isn't a bigger upside, especially out here in the Bay Area where I'm at, 
people just leave and they'll go start their own companies. And again, mm-hmm. nine out of ten times they'll probably fail, but there's that one chance. And that's better than no chance, which is what they have in corporations today. If you're creating IP just for the corporation on a salary, some people are going, okay, I'm okay with that. Maybe I'm in between startups and I want that stability. That's fine. But uh, I think this is something we have to figure out at the corporate level. And we have to figure out how to uh, give them options. How do they own it? You know, can they stick with it and scale it? Or are they forced to hand it off to some kind of growth team and then they're pulled away from it into something else? You know, I'm a big believer in people self-selecting kind of, I believe in this product or vision. I want to grow it and stay with it going from kind of horizon three to horizon two. Or you know what? I'm not as passionate about this. I kind of want to self-select out and maybe pick another idea we have in the hopper and go do some discovery on that. Um, but there's no really one great answer here I have, other than, you know, I, I think it's folly to say we can create the same sense of urgency and momentum at a startup when we're compensating them the way we do, and there's just like, okay, we missed that date and nothing happens. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. One of the trends that we're seeing uh, beyond just internal or inside innovation is how companies are looking more and more externally, right, to be able to collaborate or partner with startups um, maybe because it, it's a good supplement to some of their internal innovation resources, or maybe they don't have the capabilities internally to do some of the things that they could find externally. What sorts of trends are you seeing in the space of companies working more with outside entities for, for increased collaboration on innovation? Yeah, I, I'm certainly see this trend of um, uh, what's been called a startup studio, and I think it's still a nebulous term. I, I don't think people have a really good handle of what it means yet, but what I've seen happen are going outside and saying, we're going to have a, like a startup as a service. So we're going to go to people. They're going to form a team. Um, now, we're either going to pair our people with that team day to day, which can be challenging uh, just because of the speed and pace and culture and dedication, all that stuff I mentioned. Um, or we just kind of almost like we only have a board level seat on that startup as a corporation. And as long as they're you know, still tied to our strategy, we almost function as a board member on it and we invest in it. And this broad you know, overall open innovation trend I see uh, I don't know, you know, my clients, they, they kind of, I, I feel like they're overwhelmed with options at the yeah. point, and, and they get all these buzzwords thrown at them, and it really comes down to, are you going to build this internally, or are you going to joint venture with somebody, you're going to invest in somebody, and I feel like it's, it's corporations that aren't always good at navigating that, you know, uh, so we'll, we'll see how it, well, it turns out, but I think the startup studio trend overall is promising, and we're going to see more of it, and we're going to see it more kind of codified over the next five, ten years. Yeah, David, you, you hit on something that I'd love for us to dig into a little bit deeper, and that is how does a corporation decide which flavor of tactic they should embrace? Uh, you have people still dabbling a little bit in accelerators, uh, whether internal or funding or, or sponsoring uh, external accelerators. You've got the startup uh, studio idea that's going on. You've got the internal labs. You've got venture arms. How does, especially mid-market companies who are seeing that they can play more and more in this space, but they can't do all of those things, how can they start to become uh, a little bit more savvy or even a little bit more effective or efficient at deciding what the right strategies are uh, to tackle? Yeah, it's, it's really hard, especially um, if, if founders are no longer there and some of the core product people are no longer there. I think it really makes it infinitely harder for them to do it well unless they bring in a, almost like a chief entrepreneurship officer, as, mm-hmm. as Alexander Osterholder would say. Um, so if the founders are still there, right, um, they, they have some hope in how to, how to structure this. But I feel like when all these folks are pushed out and the product guys are pushed out, uh, it becomes more of a sales and marketing organization. It's really, really difficult for them to um, pick a path. So what I see corporations doing instead is they almost like place their bets in many different types of ways. And then it's never really clear what they're trying to achieve. So they might have an accelerator, they have an innovation lab, 
they're they're partnering with startups too, and they're kind of just like, if we do enough different things, something's going to work. <laughs> um, I, I'm of the mindset of just you have to be really careful here. It, it, you're, if you're creating a new business here that potentially could disrupt your existing business, you, you have to be mindful about it, right? And how you how you structure and organize your teams, how you fund it, how you test the market. Um, but I have to say, I, I feel like they're trying a little bit of everything right now and just hoping something works. And sure. um, I'm not sure how well that's going to work out for, for all <laughs> the corporations. So uh, taking it back to, we're at Lean Startup Week, uh, talking about Lean Startup tools and principles uh, and, and methodologies here. One of the things I've always appreciated about Precoil is you have some great resources that you've put out there, right? Your assumption mapping matrix, I think, is phenomenal. Uh, you've, you've created some new templates on Mural that I saw recently. Can you walk me through some of those great resources that you're putting out there or maybe a favorite one that you see as a great tool for the people who might be listening and might be interested or, or continuing to adapt Lean Startup? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, thanks. I, I'm really trying to democratize this too and I try to put everything I do out there. And so assumptions mapping is something I've been iterating on for years now. And uh, the early iterations were really rough. And, uh, you know, I'm not a tool designer by trade. You know, even though I have a design degree, designing a conceptual tool is really hard work. Uh, and so over time, I really kept hitting the same barrier with teams where we said, we have all these different experiments we could do. What, where do we focus? And assumption mapping is really born out of that need of, okay, how do we help the team focus? And it's not just enough to say, write down your assumptions because it's so open-ended and they write down anything. So we you know it ended up being a guide. I learned a lot from Gift Constable, who's, who is uh, the CEO of Neo. And I've learned a lot from design thinking. And I really ended up blending together this sort of desirable, viable, feasible framing with enough guides where we can extract out of the team. What are the assumptions we're making around? Do people want this? Should we do this? Can we do this? Mm -hmm. And then how do we focus? Like We need to focus on important and unknown things. So let's base that for experimentation. And I've done this across industry, uh, consumer packaged goods, fashion, automotive, software. I mean, it, it's not just something that works in a, a tech startup. So I think um, it works because there's this need for focus and people yearn for, I could be doing all these different things, but I don't know. When I go to sleep at night, did I work on the most impactful thing today? And that's not an easy answer. Um, the other thing I see in teams is wide variance of information and knowledge transfer going on. So, you know, um, something that one person might think is really important, another person on the team says, no, it's not important at all. So you should have that conversation as a team of why do we disagree on this so vehemently? So having kind of product design and engineering represented in the room on your team really helps, you know, with different lenses of that as well. So I would say after over everything I'm doing that I'm probably the most excited about just because I've used it with so many teams. And um, I've also been working with Alexander Osterwalder on how you kind of plug that into the business model canvas. Wow. So, you know, the canvas actually you can theme it desirable, viable, feasible too and frame your mapping from there too. So it's not a series of questions. So I would say I, I, everything I'm doing right now, that exercise is probably my favorite, not just because um, you know it's an exercise I created, it's more of it actually helps teams focus on the stuff that'll kill them if they ignore it. Um, I see way too many teams get excited by experimentation and they do all this known unimportant experimentation and it gives them this illusion of progress that we're completing experiments, so we're making progress, and they're ignoring these giant things that will kill their whole business. So um, I just like it as a, let's pull back to this part where we need to focus, let's run meaningful experimentation, because uh, just because you can run experiments doesn't mean you should, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they should be tied back to a coherent strategy and where our risks are. So um, yeah, I, I would say assumptions mapping is probably my favorite right now, just because teams get so much value out of it. I was observing a team recently who was using your assumption mapping as they're in a constant pursuit of trying to measure some sort of progress, right? Because I think many labs and other places want some metrics. I, I don't know if they want metrics, but 
but definitely the people who are funding them are saying, I understand you're going to be failing, I understand we're not going to, but, but show me something that says that we're moving along. So they, they want to see metrics, and so some of them have been using assumption mapping to say, how much progress are we making on our known to unknown assumptions? How are we moving things along? Uh, are you seeing other things out there, or have you seen other iterations of people trying to create quantifiable ways to, to show progress on experiments or assumptions uh, in the ideas or projects they're working on? It's tough. I do see um, all these different startups trying to solve this experimentation management kind of process. Mm -hmm. it, it's really tough because experiments can be generative or evaluative, right? And so you could be going out there just to kind of uh, generate things to see what could possibly we do. And then other times you're going out there to say, hey, we define this specific thing and, and let's test it and, and, and validate it. I think it's really tough to capture that loop in a tool. I see some people trying to do it. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's nailed it yet um, because the idea of, okay, we have our strategy, it's clear. We've talked openly as a team about what assumptions we're making, what are the riskiest. Okay, let's design experiments from there and then let's run those and then measure success. And I think the discipline it takes to do so it sounds great until you get through maybe two or three weeks of that and you realize it's really, really hard. And I think having the just pace and momentum, I, I've talked to so many teams who said, wow, I never want to work that way again because I worked that way for 12 weeks and it exhausted me, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I think there's an element of let's not get too geeky with it. Let's provide value. But also completing that loop is pretty important because if you're just running experiments and completing them, but they're not tied to your strategy, you're in trouble. Yeah. Sure, sure. David, any other things that are exciting in your world or that you're seeing in corporations or innovation teams or, or in the lean startup space, uh, stuff that's got you curious? or You know, I'm kind of excited about systems thinking in a weird way because I feel like um, it, it's, lean startup's kind of like a gateway drug to systems thinking. And I think what we're going to see over the next five to 10 years is sort of this resurgence in systems thinking mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. businesses are so complex now, uh, but not like the heavyweight sort of really difficult to use systems thinking tools, I think we're going to see almost like what Eric did with Lean, a just more consumable way to just to use it. Because Lean's been around, um, just no one really applied it this way with a language we could all commonly talk about that was easy to consume. And, and that gets me really excited because there's so much there that we could pull and learn from. Uh, it just isn't actionable for teams right now. So I think systems thinking is going to follow on the tails of, of kind of the Lean startup movement. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think it's absolutely needed because if not, you end up getting more and more frameworks, right? I see a lot of people, as you mentioned before, trying to smash together a business model canvas and then figuring out assumption mapping. And then where, how does how does a build, measure, learn cycle fit into that? And, oh, wait, maybe I should use Ash's lean canvas for certain things. And all of a sudden, you've got so many different languages and, and, and flavors of things all going on that it's really hard to actually show that you're making meaningful progress. So, all right, David, uh, if people want to learn more about you or Precoil, where can we send them? Yeah, um, precoil.com. I actually donate 30 minutes of free video advising to startups there. You can actually book time with me right there. And then at David J. Bland on Twitter. I'm pretty active and hopelessly addicted to Twitter, so you can find me there too. All right. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks for having me. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Huge thanks to David Bland for taking time at the conference to speak with us. We would love to connect with you through Twitter at the IO Podcast or on our website, insideoutside.io. If you've got a topic or an area you'd like us to dig into, let us know because we would love to share our insights and invite other experts like David onto the show so they can share theirs. Until next time, go out and innovate.